Fairfax, I want to share a few things we have going on around here. I don't know about you, but this year is flying by, and I cannot believe that it is almost Ash Wednesday. If you haven't attended one of these services, we would invite you to join us either in person or online on Wednesday, March 2nd, to kick off this Lenten season. Keep an eye on our website for more information. If you're interested in making an impact and you want to stay closer to home, we're joining with Young Lives for their spring weekend camp. We're providing the childcare so that every young mom can participate. So if you're interested, please go to our website and sign up. Our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality classes kick off next week on the 24th. Spaces are limited, so please, if you're interested, sign up online, or if you want more information, join us out in the Connect areas to get more information and get signed up. Hey, we have some exciting news. We finally have a date for that uh, rescheduled Hangar 48 event. April 1st through 3rd, our high school students will partake in a 48-hour event where they're just going to grow closer together and closer to God. If you would like to get more information or register, visit our website. All right, that's all we have for you for this weekend. We're going to turn it over to Jess, who has an incredible message prepared for us. See you, church. Well, good morning. It's so nice to see all of you. My name is Jessica Eitflecht. I am one of the pastors here. If you are joining us online this morning, I want to say an extra special welcome to you. We're so glad that you are with us. Um, I just wanted to uh, just say real quick before we jump into the message, uh, just a a thank you to all of you who choose to uh, give to this place to, to keep it going. We are fully supported by the tithes and offerings of the people who call this place home, and we are so grateful for the way that you give of your time, of, uh, of your energy, and also of your resources. So thank you so much for that. I'm sure somebody is on it, but I need somewhere to put my iPad. <laughs> so I don't know. Anybody else have technical difficulties just getting out of the house this morning? Me, yes, okay. Um, All right, so uh, I, um, oh, by the way, I was supposed to say this part. Um, If you would like to make giving a part of your worship this morning, then um, if you're watching online, there should be a little button you can click, give, and uh, and that will help you do that. Or there should be a QR code, possibly. Thank you so much, Logan. Logan, everybody, Logan, thank you. Maybe not. We uh, or you. Um, we have some boxes in the back of the sanctuary where you can drop your tithes and offerings as a part of your worship um, this morning. So again, thank you so much for all of you that give so faithfully to this place. Um, I called this message when I just can't anymore, uh, and the longer title should be when I can't keep doing what I'm doing anymore. But quitting it isn't an option either, and I feel stuck and maybe a little bit hopeless. But that wouldn't fit on the screen. So when I just can't anymore is what we're going with. Maybe you can relate. This um, message today, if you've been around here for a while, then it's going to maybe feel a little bit different than when I normally am up here with you um, in some ways, uh, because I just felt like I needed to share with you some things that God's been doing in my own life and in my own heart and, uh, and, and things that God's been teaching me lately. And hopefully that is okay with all of you. Maybe you have found yourself in a situation where you know that the current circumstances that you are finding yourself in are just simply unsustainable. Like you just can't keep doing what you've been doing. Uh, and, and but, but 
while like the current circumstances are unsustainable, you are either unwilling or for whatever reason, unable to give up or to walk away. Um, and, and let me give you some examples that are, that are not necessarily from my, from my own life, just for, put that disclaimer out there ahead of time. Um, maybe your marriage has reached an unsustainable point, uh, but you're not willing to give up on it for whatever reason. Or uh, maybe, but you also don't know how to keep moving forward with the way that the circumstances are as they are. Um, maybe your job is making demands of you that you're just really struggling to keep up with. Or maybe you're trying to work and do school at the same time. Or maybe it's the demands of the particular degree that you're pursuing uh, that, that are making it like you can't, what you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to do in that degree program is, is unsustainable, but you also are, are unwilling or perhaps unable for whatever reason to give up on that. Maybe it is simply the demands of trying to navigate a two-year pandemic that feels unsustainable, and yet you can't just give up because the pandemic seems to not be going anywhere, right? So there's like, there's like all of these times in our lives. Um, maybe it's, it's uh, you're in the middle of some sort of overwhelming grief. Maybe it's the death of a loved one or, uh, or the end of a relationship, and you're just trying to like keep going while the weight of this sadness goes with you wherever you go. It's unsustainable the situation that you find yourself in. Whatever it is, the circumstances surrounding it, you just can't keep doing what you're doing anymore. And listen, I know we always have choices, right? Like there's always the choice to just stop or to just give up. That's always a choice. But sometimes, maybe because of our values or because of the people that are depending on us or whatever, maybe you're like me where you've worked all the angles and you can't seem like, it seems like if you just keep turning it over in your mind, the magic door you can push or you can get out of the circumstance you're in, like it will magically appear. Like surely I'm just overlooking something, right? And so I can just figure out some way to like find the exit ramp from this particular set of circumstances, but there's just, there's not. I'd like to start this morning by telling you a little bit of a story about my own recent experience with I just can't anymore, but I also don't get to quit, and I don't really know what to do, and I feel a little bit hopeless. Um, but first, let me introduce you to my family. And if that transition made total sense to you, then you might be a parent. <laughs> um, okay, so possibly a family photo, um, but if not, then um, I, there they are. So, uh, so my husband, Kevin, and then my four-year-old, Ella, and my one-year-old, Annalise. And that photo tells you everything you need to know about my four-year-old and my one-year-old, all right? Um, Ella, my older child, is uh, so responsible and, uh, and so very kind and very empathetic. She very much cares about how other people are doing. Um, Ella is, uh, she is like the classic, like oldest child in every way. Um, she wants everything to be done the right way every single time and in the same order, right? That kind of personality. Annalise is expressive. She's funny. She is highly aware of social cues. Like she's picking up on social cues more and more every day in just an incredible way. Um, she loves cuddles. Um, our girls are a joy and we are so grateful for them. And also, last fall, uh, Annalise was about 10 months old and uh, we were just really struggling. She, um, it was a challenging season <laughs> in our family. Uh, 
and we had been struggling for a while. She like, she hit that four month sleep regression, you know, and just like never recovered in her sleep. And so, um, and so at 10 months, she was not sleeping more than like an hour or two at a time at night. And when she was awake, she was like my Velcro baby, just attached to me and did not want to be anything but attached to me 100% of the time. So like anything that I was trying to do that meant that I couldn't hold her was not okay. And, uh, and so she would let us know that it was not okay by sitting at my feet and screaming at the top of her lungs. Like ear piercing, blood curling, screaming. Like I'm not, this is not, I am not Kyle Cooper. I am not exaggerating for the sake of a story, okay? Screaming at the top of her lungs to get us, to, to get me to pick her up or to do whatever it was that she wanted to do. And, um, and that's, this went on, this started around six months. She found, so she stopped sleeping at four months. At six months, the screaming started. And at 10 months, all of this had just kind of been going on and going on. Um, so like I'm trying to cook dinner or, or fold laundry or whatever. And, and she's just at my feet, just letting us know that this is not okay with her. Um, it was pretty hard on all of us. Kevin would come, and, and I don't want you to think that he was just like leaving me to figure it out on my own. Kevin would come, and he would try to like pick her up or to take her somewhere and play with her and all of that. It made no difference. She was like, no, that is not, no, I want mom, and just scream, scream, scream. So it was a really hard season on all of us. In fact, from about six months to a year, it was not uncommon for me to be trying to do something like like literally anything, and that doing that thing, because I was doing that particular thing, that meant that I couldn't also hold her at the same time, right? So even something like changing her diaper, where I'm actively caring for my child, and she would scream so loud and for so long that this would pop up on my Apple Watch. Loud environment, sound levels hit 90 decibels. Around 30 minutes at this level can cause temporary hearing loss, you guys. Is six months a temporary amount of time? Like, is that a long enough amount of time for hearing loss? So, okay, I'll be honest. As is clear, it was pretty triggering for me. Um, I knew she was physically fine, right? She was fed. She was changed. She was healthy. She was, you know, she was sleeping. Not, not maybe not like at night, but she was like, you know, you know how you're supposed to like calculate all the sleep over 24 hours. She was fine in the sleep category. It wasn't that. Uh, and she was a health. She was a, a, a healthy child. So it was not. I knew she was physically fine when she was doing this. But as a mother, I'm not able to listen to my child scream like that and just ignore it, right? Like I can't just tune it out. I tried sometimes because there was nothing else to do, right? Like I had to take it. There was times I had to take care of Ella. So I needed Annalise to just, and she just needed to scream. And so I would try to tune it out, but I just, it felt like my very insides were ripping apart in front of me as I tried to ignore her to do the other thing or, or whatever as she would scream. Um, and so I was trying to hold these things in tension of like, I can't hold her every time she wants me to hold her, uh, but I also don't want her to scream all the time. So I'm trying to hold these two things in tension and I'm doing it, to be honest with you, poorly and with no sleep and for months on end. On the work front, because um, like many of you, I'm a working mom. So on the work front, we have been pushing for months. We had a really big summer and uh, have been doing a lot of stuff for our students over the summer, wanting to be with them and serve them um, because we were able to do more in person this past summer and the summer of 21. We were able to do more stuff in person. So we put a lot on the calendar. We're doing a lot with students and now it's the fall. And so we're ramping up for small groups and to get back into our regular rhythm of things. You know that like, we're talking about September. You know that fall hustle 
that you feel of like, it's a new year, you gotta get going. And so on the work front, I'm in the middle of that. All, all of which are good things. There was nothing wrong with what was going on at work, but it was a busy season. There was a lot of demands on my time. And uh, I felt like I was like flailing for a life raft. Like I was in completely over my head and every time I would like grab hold of something, it would just slip through my fingers and I'd be flailing again. And I just couldn't anymore. But I also couldn't quit. Like there was no, I didn't feel like I had any like choices available to me, right? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to try next. I just felt, I felt stuck and so very tired. So uh, I walked into church on a Sunday morning, just a, just a Sunday morning, an ordinary, nothing in particular had happened the night before, nothing in particular was happening that day. I just walked into this place and I sat over there on that side because that's where my husband and I sit. And uh, I sat over there on that side and the worship had just started when I walked in. And so I walked in and I stood there and I remember standing there singing and I don't remember what we sang. I don't remember anything else about the service, but I was standing there singing and I heard the Lord say to me out of nowhere so clearly it was like I could hear it in my ear, which maybe I was so sleep deprived that I hallucinated the whole thing, but here we are. I heard the Lord say to me so clearly, I will sustain you with my right hand. Just that phrase at first, over and over and over again until I had no choice but to pay attention and to take what was happening seriously. It was like that story in 1 Samuel where Samuel, where God calls Samuel's name and Samuel doesn't know what that is and then finally Samuel says, here I am God, what do you wanna say? And so I, 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 was, I had to take it seriously. And then I heard God say, I have equipped you and I will complete it. And then that was it. Like that moment was just over as quickly as it had begun. But those phrases, they rang over and over in my ears and in my heart for the rest of the service. I wrote them down. I was so scared I would forget them. And then I just kept reading them. I kept, I kept opening my phone to reread them because it was like, did that really just happen? Did I, did I imagine that whole thing? And uh, I will sustain you with my right hand. I have equipped you and I will complete it. And I sat with those three phrases for months. I leaned hard into them. I, I claimed them over my life, right? For the next several months, I leaned hard into them and I kept them to myself. And then a few months later, I felt like I was supposed to start passing them along to other people who were in uh, hard, intense life stuff. Like God had been saying, I gave this to you, but now you need to give it to others. You need to pass it along. So today, I wanna offer it to you. We're gonna spend some time with each of those phrases, and my prayer is that God might use this to encourage you or to comfort you, or at the very least, that you might feel seen by God today as you sit in the middle of whatever hard thing that you just can't anymore as you try to figure out what to do next. Maybe you're two steps ahead of me, but each of those phrases are paraphrases or adaptations of three different passages of scripture. So, uh, so the first one is kind of a loose adaptation of Isaiah 41.10, and the second one comes from Hebrews 13.21, and the third one comes from Philippians 1.6. And so that first part, I will sustain you with my right hand, it's very similar to what we read in Isaiah 41. I'm gonna read uh, just 41 verse 10 to you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sometimes it really does feel as though the entire world is falling apart around us, doesn't it? Like everything is crashing down. And you know what? Sometimes it actually is. 
Some of you have lived through moments in your life where, yeah, the whole world is crashing down around you. And that is exactly what was happening for the Jewish people in Isaiah 41. The people are in exile in this part of Isaiah. Their world has actually collapsed. Their land has been taken, their people taken, their cities conquered. And the Isaiah that we see in chapter 41 is part of this tradition of Isaiah of Babylon, the Isaiah of the exile, who is declaring over the people, it won't always be like this. This right now, it won't always be like this. And it is in that context that we read this verse Verse 10, that God will strengthen and uphold them with God's right hand. There's a word there, that word right hand is the Hebrew word, and I don't speak Hebrew, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but it's yemin, something along those lines. Um, this is what it looks like. And, uh, and it's, it, it translates to, um, to right hand. The Hebrew word here, yemin, is used over 140 times in the Old Testament. In some of those instances, it is referring specifically to someone's right side or their actual physical right hand. Um, and then in other places, the word is used as part of a directive. You maybe have heard the, the saying to turn neither to the right nor to the left, but to stay on the path uh, of devotion to God. And so it's used in that context. But the most often way that this word is used in the Old Testament is with reference to God's right hand. And I thought we would do a little bit of a, of a deep dive here um, about this word as it's used in, in this particular instance, if that's okay with you. So I'm gonna put up on the screen a bunch of verses where this word is used um, to refer to God's right hand. And we're gonna look at a few of them, but I thought if you're really interested in this, then, uh, then maybe take a, a picture of all of these and you can go home and do a little bit deeper of a word study on your own. But, uh, but I'm gonna put a bunch of them up here and we're gonna look at a few of these, but not quite all of them. So in all of these instances and a bunch more, this is by no means all of the instances that, um, it's by no means all of the instances, but, uh, these instances allude either metaphorically or even anthropomorphically, there's a word for you for Sunday morning, to the affirmation of divine power and authority. In particular, there is praise for the right hand of Yahweh in bringing about victory over God's enemies or blessing in the life of God's people. We see this, for example, in Exodus 15. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. There's several texts that point to Yahweh's right hand as a source of blessing and strength, like we see here in the Psalms. In Psalm 1611, you show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The messianic ruler that's promised in the Old Testament is, uh, is said to occupy a position of divine authority at God's right hand. And we see that in Psalm 110, verses one, and then again in verse five of the same Psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. And God promises to uphold and protect at God's right hand. In Isaiah 48, 13, we see that it refers to the right hand of God, uh, the right hand of Yahweh as a mechanism for creative endeavors. So in, in verse 48, in chapter 48, verse 13 of Isaiah, my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they stand at attention. In other words, there is power in the right hand of God. God is up to something when God's right hand is invoked in scripture. God's enemies should tremble and God's servants should pay attention when God's right hand is at work because something is about to happen. It will not always be this way. But notice, 
that in each of these instances and in the vast majority of instances where God's right hand is invoked in scripture, God's hand is, is invoked and we hear that God's hand is up to something, but in the moment, not a single thing has changed. Like nothing, God's right hand, it's not like, it's not like God will uphold you with God's right hand and now all the problems are solved, right? Like nothing has actually changed in the moment. That doesn't mean that today is going to be easier. It doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be easier. It's almost always true in scripture that when God's right hand is referenced, nothing about the current circumstances had changed. And I would argue that that's not really the point. The point is that when we are at the end of ourselves, when we're searching for a way to fix it, to fix the problem that we can't seem to get our arms around, when we're fighting so hard to get a way out or a way through or just a way, and the circumstances that we find ourselves in are simply unsustainable, and we cry out, God, I can't. God, I'm too weak. And God is standing there, not, not in a judgment tone, but gently, kindly. God wants to look you right in the eyes and say, my child, you're right, you can't, but I can my child, you are not the sustainer I am. And my child, in your weakness, I am made strong. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The second phrase, uh, about being equipped comes from Hebrews 13, 21. And uh, we kind of pick up 21 right in the middle of a thought. Uh, so I grabbed a word in reference to, may the God of peace, that comes from verse 20, may the God of peace equip you with every good thing to do God's will by developing in us what pleases God through Jesus Christ. That's a mouthful, but, um, but let's look at it. May the God of peace equip you with every good thing to do God's will by developing in us what pleases God through Jesus Christ. I remember my youth pastor teaching on this verse um, and uh, when I was like in high school or college and telling us God doesn't just call the equipped, that God equips the call. And um, that has, you know what, thanks be to God for that. That God doesn't just call the people that are already equipped to do the work that God wants done in the world. That God calls those of us who aren't equipped and then proceeds to equip us to do what God has for us to do. Um, because in every area of my life, I wanna be in the yes position to God. We talk about that a lot around here. I want to be in the yes position to God. I wanna say a resounding yes to do whatever God calls me to do, to go wherever God calls me to go. I want to live into the spaces and places that God has called me with a, with a, a whole heart. But sometimes there's this fear that can creep in, right? This fear that, uh, that I'm a fraud, that I'm not capable that I'm not good enough. These fears can creep in, can make us feel like we don't, we shouldn't get to do the thing that God has called us to do. It's in those moments maybe when you feel like at any moment, someone's gonna look around in the room and be like, oh yeah, you're not supposed to be here. Or uh, you are nowhere near qualified to sit at this table. Or you are way too young to be a part of this conversation. Why don't you go back to the kiddie table, right? Um, or sorry, you don't have the right education or uh, the right background or the right experience or whatever it is. I think most of us feel that way in one way or another at some point in our lives. Um, probably a lot more than we want other people to realize. 
And, uh, and most of us, I think at some point, feel like in whatever area it is that we might be in a little bit over our heads. So we're just sort of making this up as we go along, right? And here's what the writer of Hebrews has to say about that to us today. May the God of peace equip you. With what? With every good thing to do God's will. That God might develop in us what pleases us, what pleases our boss, what pleases our spouse, what pleases our kids or our parents. No. That God might develop in us what pleases God to do God's will in the spaces and places to which God has called us. Because God has equipped you for this season, whatever it is, with all that you need for doing God's will at home, at work, in your family, with your friends, in your ministry. God equips those whom God has called and God has called you. This is not just a more biblical version of God won't give you anything you can't handle. Right? That's not what we're talking about right now. We've already established with the Isaiah passage that we can't handle it. It is only by God's power, by God's right-hand power that we can get through it. This is simply an affirmation that you have all you need to face the calling that you are currently in. Whether it's the kids that you've been called to raise or the marriage you've been called to stay in or the job that you've been called to do or the ministry you've been called to serve or the degree you've been called to pursue, whatever it is, you've been called to this and you've been equipped for this, for this calling, for the purpose of doing God's will. And then the third phrase, I will complete it, which comes from Philippians 1.6. I'm gonna read it to you out of a translation called The Voice, which will probably sound a little bit different to your ears, particularly if you're really familiar with this passage out of Philippians, but I love the way that The Voice puts that. I am confident that the creator who has begun such a great work among you will not stop in mid-design, but will keep perfecting you until the day Jesus the anointed, our liberating king, returns to redeem the world. I love that. Until the day that Jesus, our liberating king, returns to redeem the whole world. God will not stop until that day. These two last phrases, they go together. God has equipped us, but also God is the one who's on the point for the whole project, right? So God's equipped us, but God is the one who is responsible for completing it. I'm not responsible for the whole project. I'm responsible to do what God has called me to do according to God's will, right? But I'm not responsible for the whole project. Um, and like God has said, here, go do this piece of it that I'm gonna equip you specifically to do. But God doesn't, doesn't just walk away and say, good luck, right? God doesn't stop mid-design. God doesn't go part way. God is not the God of 75% finished house projects, right? Some of you are like elbowing the person sitting next to you, but uh, God keeps at it all the way until the end, until Jesus returns to redeem the whole world. And this is true of you as a person, that God doesn't stop mid-design on you. And it's also true of your kids, that God is the one who created them and God began a great work of the, in them and God will complete it. This is so hard uh, for me as a parent and I'm sure for you as a parent that like, I'm responsible for a lot with my kids, but I'm not. God is the one who created my kids. God is the one who began a great work in my kids and it is God's responsibility to complete the work in my kids. I do the best I can. You do the best you can, but God is on the point for the project, right? Uh, it's also true of our church. 
It's true of our church, certainly, this expression of the kingdom. God does not stop mid-design here at Fairfax Church. God is gonna keep perfecting this church all the way until the day that Jesus returns. And it is also true for the larger church, the capital C church globally. If you ever look around and feel a little bit nervous about the future of the church, let me remind you that God loves the church, that God calls the church the bride of Christ, that God has not stopped mid-design on the church, either that God created the church, God began a good work in the church and God will not stop until God has completed the project. That you are not on the point for the church, God is on the point for the church and God will complete it. It's true of everything that God created. If God created it, then God will complete it. And so we have a job to do and we are equipped to fulfill our part, but we're not responsible for the whole project. The project is God's and God will complete it. You can trust God to be who God says God will be and God says, I will complete it. So for me, uh, it was a while before things started to get better at our house. for those of you who are wondering, yes, we reached out to her pediatrician. We, we saw her. We, we, she's fine. She's healthy. Uh, it's a good news, bad news kind of thing. Good news, Annalise is healthy and great. This is just her temperament. Bad news, this is Annalise's temperament. Like this is just, we're, in the, it's the, we're playing the long game, right? Uh, so, um, but yeah, things did start to get better. Eventually, uh, it was a couple of months before we started to get a little bit of sleep. Um, And last night, notwithstanding, she does now sleep, you know, through the night on a fairly regular basis. Uh, And it was, um, and as she's gotten older, so she's, she'll be 16 months, like next week, or actually in like two days, she'll be 16 months. With your second, you forget, right? You like stop tracking. Um, So... uh, so yeah, so she's, she's able to communicate a little bit better now. She's able to like modulate her tone. So the screaming doesn't happen nearly like it did. Although I swear to you, the night that I was up writing this message, like I'm in the middle of this paragraph when she woke up from a dead sleep, screaming her head off and Kevin went in trying to like, you know, comfort her and get her back to sleep. And it was like, no, she was having none of that. So, you know, it's not linear, right? Progress is never linear Uh, in any area of our lives. Progress is never linear. Whether it's child development or healing or reconciliation in a relationship or whatever it is that you're struggling through. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward and one step back. And I don't know what you're walking through this morning, whether it's mental health issues or young parenthood or toxic work environments or financial stress or marriage stress or loneliness. Those are all a really big deal. On their own, they're a big deal. When you stack a couple of those things on top of each other, which I don't know about you, but in my life, it feels like those things always end up being two or three deep. It's a lot. And it's too much for you to carry on your own. Listen, I have a lot of years of parenting ahead of me, Lord willing, so I'm not done with that word from the Lord yet. But for that season that was unsustainable, God did. God sustained me. And God gave me the path forward for my family. And yours will probably look different. How God works this out in your life will not look the same as God has in my life. But I'm praying this over you this morning, that God will uphold you and sustain you with God's righteous right hand. That God has equipped you for this season with all that you need for doing God's will at home, at work, in your family, with your friends, in your ministry. God equips those who God has called and God has called you and God will see this through in you to completion.
We're playing the long game, friends, until our liberating king returns to redeem the whole world. So whatever that means for you in whatever season of life you find yourself in and whatever ways you're carrying a load that you simply cannot continue to carry on your own, may you hear God whispering to you, I will sustain you with my right hand. I have equipped you and I will complete it. Let me pray for you. God, we trust you. Right now, all over this room, perhaps we're thinking of things that we just can't anymore. And we need you to be the healer or the reconciler or the great physician or, or just the guide who shows us the next right thing. God, in these quiet moments, we trust you to be that for us. God, we trust you to sustain us. We trust you to equip us and we trust you to complete it. Thank you for being the God of a righteous right hand. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand and sing with us?